Last week, I cut off our message a little bit earlier than I would have liked. I was going to try to get all the way to verse 17 because that really finishes the conversation. But I knew that the message would be much too long if I tried to get all the way to verse 17. So I cut it off at the end of verse 12. So it's really odd as we're picking up our scripture today in verse 13. It's right in the middle of a conversation. It's And so I'll summarize so that we get the flow of it today. But um, but I also didn't go any further than verse 17. So today's message will be brief. I, I can hear the cheers from here. I, Get that long-winded guy out of there and see if Hattie will play the piano more. But anyway, that's uh, that's what we'll do. We're going to have a very short message today. Um, oh, I guess the last prayer request is that we would be able to fellowship and worship God together again. Esther and I have tried to make a point of coming out and seeing as many of you as we can throughout the weeks. And... Uh, we haven't gotten to see all of you yet. I know some of you are saying, what, you haven't come to see us yet? And I was like, I know, I, I know. We've, we've tried, we've, we've seen about 25 families in the last little while. Um, we miss you guys. I'm not, a, I'm not an emotional person. I really try, I know some of you are laughing. You are too, but um, I try to suppress my emotions as much as, much as possible. And, but I miss, I miss you guys. Um, I miss church. I miss fellowship. Um, I feel incomplete when we don't gather on Sunday morning. And the more weeks that happens, the more incomplete I feel. I know some people have come to me and said, so it's no big deal. We just keep going about our business. And I'm glad for you. But it's not me. Last week, we looked at the first 12 verses of Exodus 4. Moses continued to have doubts about returning to Egypt to be Israel's deliverer in spite of God's promise to him that the people would heed his words and that God himself would go with him. But God is patient with Moses and continues to give him encouragement. In fact, God gives Moses three signs to show to the Hebrews and the Egyptians for that matter so that any person that doubts that Moses was sent by the God of Israel would be convinced by the miracles done through Moses. The first sign is the transformation of Moses' rod into a snake when he casts it on the ground. When Moses grabs the serpent by the tail, it is restored back to a rod. The second sign is the transformation of Moses' healthy hand into a leprous hand and then, of course, restored to health again. For the final sign, Moses was given the power to pour water taken from the Nile onto dry ground where it would become blood. All of these signs are given with the express purpose of showing that the God of Israel is almighty. He has power over Pharaoh. He has power over Egypt. He has power over Egypt's gods. And judgment was coming. There is no more applicable message for us today to remember. But Moses was still not convinced, as many of us are not. He tries to tell God that he has trouble speaking. Well, I can feel with you, Moses. God continues to show patience with Moses, however, 
and reminds Moses to quit focusing on himself and start focusing on God. I hear you, Moses, who created all things, including man's mouth. This is where we left the conversation last week, right in the center of it. We are picking up this week right at that point. So let me just quickly summarize Moses' entire counter encounter with God at the burning bush so that we get the flow of what's happening here. Moses is wandering around Horeb, near Mount Sinai, tending Jethro's sheep. He sees a strange sight, a bush that is on fire, but is not being consumed. As he goes to check, God calls him out of the midst of the bush and commissions Moses to be the deliverer of the Hebrews out of their slavery in Egypt. Moses naturally is somewhat hesitant and asks God for his name so he can tell the Hebrews who sent him. God reveals his name as the I Am. Moses continues to have doubts, however, so God gives him three miraculous signs to confirm that Moses is indeed sent by the God of the Hebrews. So, as I just reminded us from last week's sermon, Moses gives God his final excuse, saying that he is not good with words, to which God reminds Moses who's really in charge. And this is where we pick up our reading today. I've titled today's message, No More Excuses. Exodus chapter 4, and we'll begin reading in verse 13 through verse 17. This is the word of God. But he, Moses, said, O my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he is also coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be your mouth and, sorry, I will be with your mouth and I will be with his mouth. And I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people, and he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God. And you shall take this rod in your hand, with which you shall do the signs. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we present ourselves before you. as a group of believers forbidden to fellowship by our authorities in direct contradiction to the word of God. We ask that you would forgive us for fearing, for not trusting you, We ask that you would restore our fellowship, whatever means that may take. We ask that as we look into your word this morning, 
that you would open our eyes because these words are truth. And that means that if a hundred years passes, they're still true and they still apply. That means if a thousand years passes, they're still true and they still apply. And now 3,500 years have passed. We read your words and we are in shock of how they still apply. We ought not to be in shock. You have promised us this, but somehow it hits us once again that this could have been written yesterday. Thank you for your words. Help us by your spirit and no other authority to understand them. Bless us with the presence of Jesus Christ in our midst today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Chapter 4, verse 13. Moses has run out of excuses to place before the Lord. In a way, everything behind what Moses had said to God up to this point expressing his doubts about delivering the Hebrews out of Egypt is revealed here in verse 13. Very simply, Moses would rather that God sent someone else. I hear you, Moses. His problem wasn't really a lack of ability. It was a lack of willingness. Benjamin Franklin once said, it's common for men to give pretended reasons instead of a real one. So are these reasons that Moses gives or are they excuses? There is a difference. Up to this point in Moses' encounter with God, Moses had convinced even himself that he was offering reasons to God as to why God's plan would not work or that he was not the man for the job. Moses offered them to God as reasons, but they are revealed to us in verse 13 as excuses. One commentator wrote, even self-diffidence, when it grows into an extreme, when it either hinders us from duty or clogs us in duty, is very displeasing to God. In other words, when we are faced with a task that we would not have otherwise chosen for ourselves, we can have so little regard for our own suitableness that we excuse ourselves as being the wrong person for the job. Then we call it humility, transforming in our minds our vice into virtue. But God is not mine. Moses says, someone else, send someone else. Verse 13 is another one of these verses in the ancient Hebrew that is notoriously difficult to translate from Hebrew into English. If you look carefully at the text which we read, and I hope you have your Bibles in front of you, we read from the New King James. You'll notice that the word else is italicized in the sentence Please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. The fact that that word is italicized means that it's not in the original Hebrew. 
and the sentence could read, please send by the hand of whomever you may send. This sounds humble on Moses' part, but the fact that the Lord's anger is kindled in the next verse shows us that Moses' meaning or tone clearly implied that he thought God had picked the wrong guy and really ought to have picked someone else. That's why the translators correctly added the word else in verse 13. God knew what Moses was getting at, and he was having none of it. No less a theologian than John Calvin wrote of verse 13, For there is no doubt but that Moses desires the task too weighty and difficult for himself to be transferred to someone else, just as if he had said, Since there are multitudes at hand whom you may employ, choose whomever you will of them, provided only that it be some other, and that I be excused. And then we enter verse 14. God, in in a sense, says, that's enough. His anger is kindled. That's enough, Moses. God was not angry when Moses asked, who am I? In chapter 3, verse 11. He was not angry when Moses asked two verses later, who should I say sent me? God was not angry when Moses expressed his doubts, saying, Suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice at the beginning of chapter 4. He was not even angry when Moses claimed that he was not eloquent, which we read about last week. But God was angry when Moses was just plain unwilling. God had pardoned Moses' slowness and doubt, but when Moses obstinately refused, God spares his anger no longer. I think we would all be wise to consider this. God may choose to bear with us and our doubts for a time, but we must not give way to self-indulgence as if we were permitted to abuse his patience without consequence. God's forbearance does have its limits when faced with our stubbornness. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, the prophet says to a disobedient King Saul, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. The basic truth to summarize this is that Moses was unwilling, not unable. So God in his grace begins to talk about Aaron's brother Moses. In his anger and his grace, God refers Moses to his older brother Aaron. God refers to him as the Levite. It seems that Aaron had become, over the years of Moses' absence, the leader or the elder of the tribe of Levi. It's interesting. 
that word in Hebrew, to be the elder of a tribe, uh, meant to be the beard wearer. So uh, some of you ladies might qualify. Sorry, no, that, that's not a nice thing to say. But anyway, some of you men, if you want to look like a leader, start working on your beard. Uh, that's just the way it's going to be. I've tried to uh, work on my beard, but it's kind of thin and scanty. And maybe that tells you something about my leadership abilities as well. In any case, uh, Aaron, the Levite, was the beard wearer. He was the head of the tribe of Levi at this point. He was about 83 years old and apparently in good health because he was going to take the week-long, five to seven-day-long walk from Egypt to Midian to go see his brother, Moses. And, of course, he had displayed some wisdom and ability to get to that position. Uh, you were not chosen because of uh, hereditary reasons, because of where you were born in the tribe. You were chosen for ability. <clears throat> and so Aaron was obviously... Um, qualified in some other ways. Even at this, God must be with Aaron's mouth. Even Aaron, who could speak well, could not speak with authority in this matter unless God gave it. Without the constant aid of divine grace by the Holy Spirit of God, even the best gifts will fail. Could this be, and I'm just proposing the question, could this be why we fail in telling people we know the good news? We are casual about maintaining that constant nearness to Christ, which we need in order, order to have the divine grace of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our words. The bottom line is this. Even if you say all the right words, if the power of the Holy Spirit isn't working in your words, you will be ineffectual. Articulate? Maybe. Intelligent? Maybe. But absolutely powerless. Moses excelled in wisdom and conduct. Aaron, in eloquence. What can you and I learn from this today? Well, Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5, For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So God very seldom, if ever, gives all accomplishments to one person. But to preserve a mutual dependence on one another and fellowship with one another in which there is strength, he distributes some gifts to one and some to others. So that if we are separated, we have become powerless and if we are united, we have become the body of Christ and the power of God. This part of Exodus where God brings Aaron and Moses as his helper, sorry, God brings Aaron to Moses as his helper, 
his mouth. It has inspired a wealth of different anecdotes from various men and women. I would like to share two since this message is short, if you'll just allow me. There's a man named W.L. Watkinson. He writes the following. He's talking, I'll, I'll just give you some background. He's talking about um, an area in the south of France called Chamonix. And uh, near that area, there's a mountain called Mount Blanc, Mount White in English. And uh, there's a beautiful statue there. And one of, you can look it up online. One of the men is pointing. And if you look where he's pointing, he's pointing at the peak of Mount Blanc. But in any case, here's the writing. In the valley of Chamonix, there stands a very interesting monument. It presents two figures, Saussure, the great scientist, and Balmat, the guide, who was the very first to stand on the summit of Mont Blanc. Saussure on the summit of the mighty mountain could do what the poor guide could not do. He could observe the structure of the rocks, take observations of barometrical variations, note the intensity of the solar rays, the mode of formation of clouds, and he could describe the superb scenery unfolded to his view with the feeling of an artist and the pen of a poet. And he did, very beautifully. Balmat could do nothing of all this. But had it not been for his skill and daring, Saussure would have never scaled the glorious height. So, on the monument, both are immortalized. The lowly guide, the famous philosopher. For by their mutuality, they triumphed and gave mankind a new world of science and poetry. So it is ever in the church. In Christian fellowship, all souls serve one another. The second anecdote, the second little story comes from a gentleman named A. Nevin. We have noted the timidity and hesitation of Moses. Notwithstanding the, very, the varied promises and assurances with which divine grace had furnished him. And now, although there was nothing gained in the way of real power, although there was no more virtue or efficacy in one mouth than another, although it was Moses, after all, who was to speak unto Aaron, yet Moses was quite ready to go when assured of the presence and cooperation of a poor, feeble mortal like himself. Whereas he could not go when assured again and again that Jehovah would be with him. How his case, like a mirror, reflects our own hearts. We are more ready to trust anything than the living God. How deeply should it humble us before the Lord that though we move along with bold decision when we possess the countenance and support of a poor, frail mortal like ourselves, Yet we falter, hesitate, and demur when we have the light of the Master's countenance and the strength of his omnipotent arm to support us. 
That one slapped me on the cheek this week as I was reading it. Moses cannot summon up courage from the protection of God. But when assured of the companionship of his brother, he will not only venture to return to Egypt, but will bring with him his wife and children. This caused me to reflect on Jesus Christ, our high priest, who sympathizes with our weaknesses, Hebrews 4.15. When he sent out the 12 and the 70, recorded in Mark chapter 6 and Luke chapter 10, he did so giving each a partner with whom to go to the people with miraculous signs and the message of repentance. He understood the hearts of his disciples, and even though it was the words of Christ that sent them, he gave each someone to go with to encourage them. Two by two, he said. So that takes us into our final verse, verse 17. God tells Moses, take this rod, not some other. There was nothing special about the rod Moses held in his hand, not before he encountered the Lord anyway. Perhaps Moses could have found a hundred rods, very much the same as the one he held in his hand. Perhaps the rod had become so astonishing to him now that he would love to have it plated in gold for all the world to see. Perhaps now that he knew when he threw his rod down that it would become a serpent, he would exchange his six or seven foot rod for a 20 foot log and carry that thing around like I might have and really show Pharaoh. Throw that thing down. You didn't just have a serpent, you had a dragon. These examples may seem silly to us, but upon further reflection, could we not also be guilty of this same type of error? God has chosen us because he created each of us with a certain personality, a certain set of strengths and weaknesses. We have gifts and talents that he blessed us with and others that he withheld for his own sovereign purposes. Then, when he commissions us into his own service, we abandon those things that are already in our hand and seek out other, perhaps more spectacular gifts. I think of Dr. William Lane Craig, who was born with a genetic deficiency that affects his hands and his feet so that they are becoming increasingly crippled. And in his older age, you can see his hands cramming up more and more. And he says, had it not been for this disability, I may have been involved in other activities. But this disability forced me to focus on my academics. And he became part of a debate club. He has written many, many books. He has earned two PhDs and he brings the gospel all over the world. 
because he has crippled hands and feet. In essence, God has said to us, take this rod. And we abandon the rod that is in our hand, looking for another rod, maybe a rod that some other shepherd is holding. God has begun with this rod, and he will perform his work with this rod, because that is what brings him glory. His glory is not to be shared with some common stick. So humble yourselves. There's more to this rod. If you will turn with me for a moment back to Genesis chapter 46, and let's read verses 31 through 34. Genesis 46, 31 through 34. Then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh, And say to him, my brothers and those of my father's house who are in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for their occupation has been to feed livestock. And they have brought their flocks, their herds, and all that they have. So it shall be when Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? That you shall say, your servant's occupation has been with livestock from our youth even till now both we and also our fathers, that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. Pay attention to the end of these verses. For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. There is no doubt that God chose this shepherd's rod to be the instrument of his power in order the more to confound the pride of Pharaoh. It would bring shame and reproach to Moses that he should bear with him in Egypt the stick with which he had up until now guided his sheep. This symbol then of a contemptible occupation in the eyes of the Egyptians was opposed to the golden scepter of Pharaoh with a degree of humiliation to Moses. Everywhere Moses went with his stick, every Egyptian would look at him and say, that man is an abomination to us, for he is a lowly shepherd. In this, the the obedience of Moses is worthy of some praise because he is not ashamed of a humble appearance, but willingly carries his rod and thus makes himself as nothing and glorifies God. God may hide his treasures in earthen vessels and to choose the weak things of the world to confine, to confound the things that are mighty. God freely uses what he pleases, things which are otherwise of no account. I'll close 
with another quote from an old British commentary. I can do this because I do have extra time. The rod itself was a great sign that Israel was to be delivered not by human, but by divine operations. It was probably not only the companion of Moses, but the constant companion, ever in his hand. It was something by which he could readily turn his thoughts away from his own inability to the all-sufficing power of God. It is our folly, both as concerns our own salvation and the salvation of our fellow men, that we go out without the humbling rod. When the Israelites saw Moses coming among them with his rod, clinging to it, though there seemed no use for it, some of them perhaps said, throw that stick aside. Why cumber yourself with it and become a laughing stock and a puzzle to Egyptian beholders? And in like manner, how often have those put in trust with the gospel have been exhorted to lay aside those elements which to the natural man appear to be mere excrescences and deformities. We may well believe that to the first apostles, it was one of the hardest things in the world to keep firm to the essential parts of their message. What the rod was to Moses, going forth with it and working signs, that must the doctrine of the cross be to all disciples. Christ crucified is to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, that's everybody else, foolishness, just like Moses' stick. But to them which are called, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. And with these words, we close the entire account of Moses' encounter with God through the burning bush. And in the messages to come, Lord willing, we will look at Moses finally starting to move his feet toward Egypt. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, your word is so powerful. We look at the lessons it teaches and we can't help but see the power of the Spirit in our own lives, in our own church, in our own community <clears throat> and how it is that we conduct ourselves which is sometimes opposed to how we ought to conduct ourselves. Father, if the picture today of Moses' stick is the picture of your people being led by a shepherd. A shepherd that was willing to die for his sheep and a shepherd that rose again. Help us not to be ashamed of carrying around the message of the gospel everywhere we go in whatever way you have gifted us.
And the world will look at it and will say, those Christians are an abomination to us. And look at that stupid stick they carry around. Help us to recognize the gospel of Jesus Christ as the power of God and the wisdom of God that will confound the wisdom of the enemies of the gospel. Help us to cling to that stick as if it is our life, because it is. Up to now, we may have been those that have chosen comfort to carrying the gospel, to carrying that shepherd's stick. Move in our hearts as your people to use the gifts that you have given us, whatever they may be, and faithfully go forth in obedience to you. Bring alongside us an Aaron, someone to encourage us, someone to lift us up when we stumble, someone to hold our arms up when the battle goes poorly as we cling to that stick. Thank you for the light of your word this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray all of these things. Deliver your church. Bring us to fellowship once again. Bring us to worship as a community once again. By the power of your gospel, in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we pray it all. Amen.